Okay, so my name is Brianna Reese, and I'm the student director of the Arlen Spectre Center. Thank you everyone to come out today. It really means a lot to us. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the election that is currently going on, and our host today is David Rogers. I'll turn it over to him. Hi, my name is David Rogers. I'm an assistant professor of writing and rhetoric, um, and my research interests are actually in political rhetoric. My most recent uh, article that I submitted for publication, fingers crossed, is um, an analysis of uh, presidential campaign ads. Jane? Hi, my name is Jane Stalker. I'm an alumni as, from Philly U as of May 2016. I study communications, and I'm a former student of David's. I think he knows I have a lot of opinions about this, so I was invited to come here today. I'm Megan Sprantz. I'm a third year law society major, and I just have a lot of opinions. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. I'm um, Eamon O'Neill, I'm a communications uh, major. I have a couple of opinions. I'm Colin, also a communications major. My name is Emir Lucas. Uh, I'm a marketing major, minor in fashion merchandising. Uh, it's my third year, and I was very interested about the topic, so okay. Um, my name is Victoria Anthony. I'm a first year law and society major. I'm Evan Lane, a director of the Spectre Center for Public uh, Service, and I have absolutely no opinions, emotional, or any kind on this issue at all. So I just kind of want to start this discussion um, with a, a framing device. So I think we've heard over and over and over that this is a strange election year, um, from reporters, to political pundits, to politicians, to the public. Um, and I want to kind of focus on what is interesting and strange and unique about it and the kinds of definitions I want us to think about uh, and perhaps refer to or ask questions about or engage in a conversation about are one, political feelings and emotion and the ways in which emotion, that's the naming of our feelings, um, shapes our, our choices, our decisions, especially our political behavior. I think we're seeing that played out in really, really interesting ways. This year, although it always has, politics has always been emotional. Politics has always been tied to people's sense of self and identity. Uh, Aristotle said famously that a man by nature is a political animal. So we're deeply entangled as we built communities with each other. Uh, we created political systems. And the other thing, which is also tied to emotion and political feeling, is a political spectacle. Um, in what I mean by that are thinking about the ways in which politicians especially um, construct political meaning through their various tools that are available to them and how then the media either filters that or takes advantage of that or exacerbates that to such a point that it becomes increasingly impossible to identify what is quote unquote truth um, or truth. And I kind of just wanted to start with a general question um, and anyone can kind of take it up. Um, have you had political, I mean, emotional responses to this particular election, and what have they been? Um, my emotional response stems incredibly deep in the way that Donald Trump has, has brought about his campaign and the way that he's addressed certain topics, specifically the disrespectful and dehumanizing way he speaks to Secretary Clinton. She has a title, she has experience, and he only ever calls her Hillary like during debates. And that is a really, really strong way to disregard her position and what she's accomplished. And he consistently brings up her husband as like sort of like a backlash against her. 
and her husband's her own man, like whatever, like leave that be. And then he he says that that god awful phrase, grab him by the pussy. And then I was um, Lane actually came and sat in on our law women gender class uh, the other day because we had a speaker. Um, Dr. Bosch came in and she just spoke to us about um, un like um, uh, bias, like our internal biases that we have and all this stuff. And we actually discussed this quote and how Billy Bush and Donald Trump sat on that bus and dehumanized this woman to a pair of legs and a pussy and nothing more than a sexual object and then had the audacity to then get off that bus and feign interest in anything. It's like he gave her her humanity back because he deemed it so. It's like he thinks that he has that ability. He has, like, I just, I just, when he, like, every time he interrupts her, it's wrong. And she interrupts him once last night and goes, what a nasty woman. He, he consistently attacks her, lowballs her, like, just, like, brutally, brutally attacks this woman. And, like, Hillary's no saying, I was a Bernie supporter, like, through and through. Still okay, like about it. Actually, let, let's transition it from there. Yeah. Um, so, for other panelists, I think it's been really clear that uh, also many people don't like Hillary no. um, and yeah. find her unlikable. Um, have you had similar emotional responses to Hillary and why? Because I think it's worth talking about. Because to some extent I want to see this as an opportunity to have a balanced debate looking at all opposing viewpoints. Um, because I think there's a reason why these candidates mm -hmm. are constructed in the ways that they are. And I think it's important to discuss. I think, I think, um, for starters, have you guys seen like the uh, the ad, the commercial ad that Heavy made about Donald Trump? It's like a little girl looking in the mirror. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. You know, I think when she, when she brought that out, it kind of like threw me for a loop. Like, whoa, like she's really cutthroat too. You know what I mean? Like that was like he said some, some, most of those things, and she just like directed them to that. It's all it's all to your daughters. You know, like kind of like getting to the woman's and the man's heart. Like. Um, oh, I don't want uh, this guy to be president because he hates my daughter, you know what I mean? So I think that right there and her background in politics, it kind of like shows you that basically <clears throat> she can be just as cutthroat as he can. There is a long history of political campaign ads using what could be called mudslinging. Um, I think one of the most famous is the Willie Horton ad that mm -hmm. the first Bush um, campaign used where they essentially turned uh, an incident that happened in Boston and racialized it and used fear as a, a political device to persuade people not to vote for mm -hmm. the other candidate. Um, but that's not the only one. Nixon famously used the, uh, uh, the threat of nuclear, uh, the atomic bomb in the Daisy video. And now I can later tell you where you can go watch these. There's a great website, the uh, living room candidate. But there is this history in it. So I'm not um, <clears throat> defending it, but there's a, there's a reason why it's legendary, right? I think the interesting question is why there's such emotion. And you said there always was emotion, but there was a time when people who were Republican Democrats sit at the same table and actually talk whether they're politicians or whether they're family members. It has got to this point. I have a friend where I went down this week on Ocean City, and if you're watching this, you know who you are. Uh, and the moment I went in there, I said right away, because I know who he supports, I said, this will be a Trump-free weekend. We will not talk about him at all. I don't care. No discussion. Because I knew, this is a very close friend, I love him, that if we got into the discussion, it wouldn't be the policy arguments. It would be good versus evil. It would, it would get into that, and it may really lead, possibly, to the end of the friendship. And I think that's new. 
in this particular campaign. It wasn't in, I didn't feel that in Obama versus, um, uh, what the heck's his name? Um, no. Romney. I didn't feel that same degree of emotion. People were for or against and had, had opinions, but you could talk about it. Yeah, but you can't talk, why is it now you can't talk about it? When I say emotion, though, like, we're, our entire country is built on emotional response to this. Patriotism is defined as love for country. So I, yeah. I want to be clear, I'm not just, I think this is a kind of, I, I think you're right, a kind of unique expression that's different from other forms. But even in 1776, people were emotional about who was yeah. going to become the president. And that's what I mean. But there is definitely something going on. I have theories, but I want to like see what the students have to say. Well, I wanted to say something. You know, I agree that Hillary Clinton is not the, a good candidate. I would, if I had a choice, a real choice, I would not be voting for her. But the problem I find is there's always been a rule book. No matter how nasty you get, there's a certain line you don't cross. And Donald Trump crossed that line a year ago. And you know, and every week there seems to be something new that he's done that people say, well, that's going to get him completely out of it. But he always he keeps lowering the bar, lowering the bar to the point that he's actually even questioning our identity as a representative republic. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's going to say the election doesn't mean anything. He's good, you know, he basically wants to run the country as a dictator. He's ignoring what Congress has done. And to be clear, I want, because I want the room, I want all viewpoints to be respected. We can detach political ideas from people too, and I, I want to be clear, I think, like, right. you can have very conservative ideas, and that's good. Like, difference of opinion is what makes democracy great. But I think the performance and the embodiment of whatever his policies are, I, I'm unclear about, um, is at stake, and that's one of the problems. I just want to have, it's good. It's gone beyond liberal conservative. It's gone, gone to the point of are we going to have a representative republic or a banana republic? <laughs> I, I, I agree. If I had any other choice, I would not be voting for Hillary Clinton. And I'm not going to lie, the only reason I am is because Bernie Sanders gave her his endorsement. And like, I adore Bernie. He literally means everything to me. Um, but I think that the patriotism, like that love we have, I, Donald Trump has taken that and turned it into something grotesque. The majority of his like voters are uneducated white men, like heterosexual white men. And he's using their fears of Islamic terrorism, he's using their fears of um, like them becoming the minority, because heterosexual white men are becoming the minority. There's more women in this country than there are men, and like it's just it's something that's becoming prevalent. And Professor Cheryl Brooks, who's like an amazing professor, she actually um, took Donald Trump's like his campaign slogan, Make America Great Again, and we kind of, it was, it's actually make white men great again. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't give a crap about any other people. Am I allowed to say crap? He doesn't care. I've never used the word. He doesn't care about like this other So he's taken that love of country, and that's why I think it's more emotional than ever, because he's, he's taken that patriotism, and he's like deformed it and turned it into this grotesque thing where he's he's telling his supporters to beat the living crap out of other supporters and he will pay for their expenses. And Hillary's no better. Hillary is, cor is as corrupt as they like they come. I dislike her immensely, but she's better than him. And like that's a I, great campaign slogan. Yeah, she's, <laughs> I mean, it's America is literally in catch twenty two right now. We're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't, and we right. don't really have an option. We can like go with Trump and die, or we can like go with Hillary and just become more corrupt than Mary Ellen. I don't know if I would. That's I these, these, embellishment. Absolute, these absolute claims. I, I think let's be 
let's try to not overgeneralize. Yeah, that's like, our, our feelings about Hillary aside, like that's a conversation that we can have, but it's a longer conversation, right? Because I think that Hillary has been constructed for the past 30 years to such a degree through media that, real enough. that we no longer know what is actually who the. <laughs> she doesn't admit to everything. She just kind of covers well, it all yeah. up. Well, she's a good politician. No, and I will say, when in the debate, when um, the first debate, when like Donald Trump immediately he attacked with the emails, I think that she did the, like the best decision that she could possibly done, which is instead of trying to run from it like she has consistently done, she was just like, "Yep, I did it. It was a mistake. I apologize. Let's move on." But she should have done that months ago, and this wouldn't have been an issue for him to use against her. Lovely one. Um, I was going to say about the emotional part because I think it was very emotional this year because a lot of people who weren't involved in politics before are getting into politics. I've never even looked at po politics. This is my first year voting, and I am in it, inv involved in it because of what Donald Trump says. A lot of the things he says out of his mouth just should not be said. Mm -hmm. He was such a misogynistic, he's racist, and he doesn't care about basically anyone but himself. He has so much money and he just walks around like he's the king of the world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's why it's so emotional because people actually have to stand up for themselves now, especially minority groups, as I mean. I, I think you make a great point. I just want to go on with Megan said. I used to love looking at the flag, and I feel it's been taken from me. Mm -hmm. When I used to hear it in the Olympics, USA, USA, I was proud. I hear that now and I get physically ill. I mean, this has been taken, my love of my country has been bastardized. Both by a fascist movement. And that really is something that I get very emotional about. I used to be proud when I looked at the flag. Now I see it in marches and it's scaring me. Going back to you know David's question of, has Hillary offended me in any way? I think that one way, like, well, yeah. like what, I, I don't know. What you know, do you dislike? What do I dislike and about her? What emotions does she provoke? Um, I mean, during the primaries, I think that she definitely capitalized on the fact that she was a woman. And I think that she kind of, you know, expected women to vote for her because she was a woman. And if, if you're a woman and you don't vote for her, then you don't have any pride of being a woman. You're not a feminist. You're not, you know, whatever. And I, I think that that really bothered me a lot during the primaries because I was a Bernie supporter and, you know, seeing it just the way that she talked about women and the way that she just expected women to vote for her like that, that's wrong. Um, I, I consider myself a feminist and just because I voted for Bernie doesn't mean that I wouldn't love to see a female president. I mean, um, I would love to see a female president, but. Sure, I, I'm gonna keep pushing us though to historicize this a little bit because I think that's important. I think one of the reactions to that is Hillary is coming out of a, a feminist movement that you don't see, right. that you don't belong to because there's been a certain kind of quote-unquote progress, depending on how you want to look at it, right? Mm -hmm. Where she's out of the like women's liberation movement that's informed her understanding of feminism. Not to say that other emerging forms have it, but there is a history that I think is linked to that. And I'm not justifying it, but I, I'm trying to help explain, perhaps, or provide a explanation. It's not the right one. It's just perhaps one. Mm -hmm. um, because I think again, like. Lane was uh, referring to, and I don't want to ma monopolize, but I, I'm trying to like direct this into some yeah. places that I want to go. I don't think this phenomenon just happened out thin air. I think there's a longer history. And if, here's a question for you. What, if you had to identify one or two emotions that you think are incredibly persuasive and that have been used in this campaign by both candidates, what are they? Um, 
I would say detachment versus paranoia. Um, on Donald Trump's side, a lot of his arguments um, really tap into a person's paranoia about the uh, system, the political system. It's a connection to the media. Um, the idea that the election could be rigged, the idea that the election was set up unfairly against Bernie. Donald Trump mm -hmm. is brought up again and again. Um, and then on Hillary's side, I think she goes more towards detachment. Like when she's asked about like why she was paid so much for speeches, she's just, well, that's what they offered. Um, and she really um, kind of, it doesn't really tap into emotion. She taps into this like sophisticated sense that policy is important um, and that like she's about the issues and not about like trying to appeal to one's emotions. Okay. Uh, does anyone, how do you, does, do you all agree with that? Because again, I do think there are at the heart of this particular election cycle that has a history, there are two emotions that aren't competing. They actually work in concert together. That's incredibly persuasive, I think, as we see. I think fear has been like the largest part of the campaign. Like Trump uses fear of like um, the white America kind of crumbling and everyone's afraid of Islamic people and terrorism. And then Clinton, you know, creates her entire campaign about using fear of him. So he's using fear to rally people and then she's using fear to get people to vote for her in fear of him winning. Right, anger too, like using that anger that whether you guys agree that it's justified or not, uh, based on some of his, uh, as Hillary said, deplorable 50% or whatever of his, um, uh, the grievances, let's say, that some white men have, uh, some white working class men who have grievances, and they are real. I guess my argument against that, though, would be like if you use, you know, sexist, misogynistic, racist rhetoric to like defend and support your grievances, that's not persuasive to me, but fear seems to be. And I think there's a longer history to the use of fear and politics in particular. I think yeah. like, me? No. Yeah. I think um, he uses like anger, really. I think Donald Trump uses anger incredibly well, especially how he has brought up Bernie Sanders in every single one of the debates, because like Bernie supporters hate Hillary. They hate her a lot. They really dislike her. Like there was the Bernie supporters at the DNC that had the tape over their mouths and like they refused to, they was like, uh, like no Bernie, no like, it was like, they just like, were like die hard Bernie fans. Bernie or bust. Yeah, Bernie or bust. And like, they like put duct tape all over their faces and like refused to speak. And like, it was just like this like really big like movement. And like, the more he brings up Bernie, the more he points out how Hillary really did screw him over to like the umpteenth degree. She hired like, she didn't like, she hired the lady that got, that had resigned because of, she like pushed Bernie out or whatever. Yeah, she hired her as like her campaign head or something like that, so like, no. yeah, but like, <laughs> Donald Trump is like, I, I, give him, I think he's very clever when it comes to that, and I think he, I think he's very, very clever, and like, he also uses the fact that he's a good businessman, and that America needs to be run like a business, and like, I think he really like, and he thinks that he can make it more profitable, and like, because he's so rich, you're almost inclined to believe that he could make America profitable again. Mm -hmm. Dave, I was going to say, there's, there's things can I speak on the yeah. fringes of what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a very interesting thing that happens with regard to creating groups that are assigned blame. So it's minorities, or it's the wealthy versus the poor, or the poor uh, ethnic groups. This reminded me of some of the stuff around Reagan and a few things around George Wallace when he was a candidate, 
a fringe candidate, no doubt, but still this sort of, it's the fear thing, but it's very, in some cases, narrowly targeted towards certain groups, and it's used as a tool to make some of his followers feel better about themselves because they can, now we've got someone we can look down on who must be worse than we are. It's a really, really crafty way to sure, and create I, divisiveness. And absolutely, and I think why I wanted to talk about emotion besides that it's my research, but that emotions are sticky, right? They like stick to us and we, they collect people, they organize us. Like, to give you an example you probably experienced. You go into a classroom, you can feel when your professor's mad by his or her walking into the room, right? Like, you can feel the room changes. It's like, and everybody's like, oh, shit, something's about to go down. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. Or when someone's excited or someone's, you know, showing affection without expressing it. I think that these things exist and they circulate around us all the time. And that's important. And it's one of the ways, by creating this us versus them, is one of the ways that you can use a singular emotion in a very persuasive way. I think it's always someone else's uh, fault. John, but I just want to ask a question. So I don't think we got to the panel. I really would love to know what everyone's emotions are. Not saying I love this person, just to, without even saying who you support, just or have you been uncomfortable by this election? I mean, has it caused you stress? You know, that, that, that I think is an interesting question, and John wants to comment as well afterwards. But asking Vicky next week, has this been stressful? Um, so like at, in the beginning, like when the camp, like when they first started, like I was like a Trump supporter. Like I was, I will, everything was Trump. Like I absolutely hate Hillary, even to this day I hate Hillary. But um, I definitely was a Trump supporter. But as I watch him more closely and as I follow the debates, I get really like I'm not voting for Trump anymore. Like I'm really, he scares me. Like the things he's been saying lately, it just really puts me on edge. And then I'm like. Um, the things he just said, it just makes me really nervous about what he's going to do when he's in the office. Um, I'm just like, I'm scared for the country, no matter who gets in, um, but I'm getting coming more and more scared if he comes in. But I'm kind of scared that Hillary disrespected uh, Russia and Putin last night um, on national television. That kind of scared me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Well, well, I was going to say one thing is, uh, you know, I, I hate to compare Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump, but this Bernie Sanders supporters are doing very much the same thing that Donald Trump is doing right now. They're saying that Hillary Clinton's winning the Democratic uh, candidacy is illegitimate. We, we don't want to, you know, they, they, the woman, I can't remember her name, the head of the DNC, you know, fixed the election, all this kind of trade. I mean, you're using almost the exact same language to say why we're not voting for Hillary. Whether Hillary's a good, Clinton's a good candidate or not, they're still using a lot of the same language. It was an illegitimate election. Uh, Bernie Sanders deserved to win. She's not legitimate. And then, you know, Donald Trump is making the same thing, same uh, claims before the election, obviously. But, you know, and everybody's criticizing him. But why isn't anybody criticizing the Bernie Sanders uh, Supporters, even you know, Bernie Sanders lost by three million votes. It wasn't close. The, and I don't think the head of the DNC, who nobody here probably could name except for maybe a couple of professors, <laughs> except for a couple of professors, like I said. Uh, I don't think she has enough influence to change three million votes. Uh, and again, they're, but they're using the same argument. She fixed the election. Hillary fixed the election. They're using the exact same argument. Well, I think that. You know, one of the similarities between Trump and Bernie 
from the get-go is that both of them are pointing out what's wrong with the political system. And, and while yes, um, it might, it, it does seem hurtful to the whole process that Bernie supporters are saying that, um, I think that, you know, one of the biggest things I feel as a Bernie supporter is that the internet has really given people a place to point out and find out about how things are not as we perceive them. Um, during the primaries, I saw a lot of things online of people, you know, their registration being changed when they knew that they had, you know, changed it to Democrat and they, they knew that they were, they wanted to vote for Bernie, so they went through that trouble. And, you know, while, yes, maybe it didn't influence, you know, how many votes was it, you know, the three million votes, um, I think that it is worth looking into First, you know, at some respect. Sure, and I don't think y'all should be put on the defensive either. I think if one thing great came, and I liked Bernie a lot, but one thing that Bernie did that's great is got young people excited about right. politics, and that in and of itself is remarkable. I think. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not the platform. Yeah, the then, yeah. I mean, but Megan, and then sorry. Um, I would say. So there's a really big difference, though. Bernie Sanders isn't the one saying it, and Donald Trump is. It's Bernie supporters that are saying that it's illegitimate, and they also have more ground. Like there's like there's more validity to what they're saying. Donald Trump's just saying it to say it because he's a coward and he's getting scared, right. so he wants to say something. When he refused to accept the outcome of the election last night, that was cowardice. He's a coward. He's scared and he's retracting into his shell like the turtle that he is with a lot of fake Jurgens glow on. Like <laughs> it's what's happening. Um, oh, Kevin Pierre-Louis uh, pointed out, he's a student here, he's in London right now, he said that he stayed up till 2 a.m. to watch um, a malignant Cheeto sweat on stage for 90 minutes. Um, yeah, so it's just, I would say that Bernie Sanders have more, like, there's, like, more validity that Bernie was screwed over, like, because, like, it was just, like, there's, like, okay, like, yeah, there's three million votes, but there's still, like, a legitimacy behind the fact that he, could have done better if he was more accepted by the kid, like the Democratic Party. But everyone just labeled him as a socialist, which he's not. He's a democratic socialist, which have fundamentally different views and ideologies. Super important. Don't label him a socialist. He's not a socialist. He's a democratic socialist. Sure. And all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what this room is. Uh, I've been in the middle of or close in on the edges of politics in Philadelphia for over 45 years now. And uh, I've been a registered Democrat, I've been a registered Republican, still not sure where I belong uh, in terms of the, the, the Philadelphia politics. Um, I've watched every debate. Uh, my wife accuses me of being a political junkie, and I guess to some degree she's She's correct about that. Um, and, and what I'm listening to is very interesting. And I hear a lot of the emotional ties to the three different candidates that we've talked about. Uh, I try to believe that I'm an issues-related voter. And, and I watch these debates and I listen to the platform planks that they're presenting. And I sort of laugh to myself and say, Folks, the ones presenting the platform, you don't understand how the system works. The system is a, 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 in my opinion, a corrupt system. 
our governmental system at all three levels, at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level. And the main problem is that we don't have, and this is my issue, term limits. And I was hoping that I would hear at some time in one of the debates, one of the candidates say, term limits are critical to be able to clean up the system. Um, and Donald Trump actually is uh, asking donations. Very, in a very minor, he did, but in a very minor, that was not a very strong yeah. position. It's, it's sort of, but, um, because you're none of the stuff that Secretary Clinton has proposed, none of the stuff that Mr. Trump has proposed, you're not going to get it through Congress as long as the Congress is in the same kind of structure it has right now. Our founding fathers, I believe, but now I, I'm very old, but I'm not old enough to have been there. <laughs> um, I believe that, that, that they expected the people to stand for different elected offices. We're not going to take it as a full-time life occupation. And that's what we have now. Uh, and you have people who, if, if you're right, what their occupation is, or goal in life, it's to be an elected official for the, for the rest of their lives. Well, that, that is a corrupting factor, in my opinion, to how our system should be working. We need fresh ideas. We need people coming in who are willing to give four, six, eight, ten years of their lives to stand for office, as difficult as that is, uh, get elected, but then get out of the way and let somebody else come in and take over. So I'm hoping that we can, we're facing a, a very difficult election. Uh, I'm still not sure where I will be when I go in the booth on November, was it 9th or 8th or 9th? Uh, but, but uh, and, and that's, that's a problem, but the problem is because I don't see either one of the two major candidates really addressing the underlying problems that our system has, and that's what I would like to see to start to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would add before I move on too, I think part of the fiction that's been perpetuated both in television, film, and by presidents themselves is that the president is all powerful and that the president mm -hmm. can fix everything, and that it's the president's job to be the economic functionary of the nation. That is all a bunch of hooey to mm -hmm. some extent. Presidents do use and abuse their power through executive orders, and why they often don't get overturned is because that president who comes in wants to use the executive orders, so you're not going to overturn the prior executive orders. So again, this idea that our civic duty is in that four-year referendum to pull that lever for that president is problematic because who we should be really concerned about are our local, our state, and uh, officials who are, have more direct representation and have more direct ways in infecting our lives. Mm -hmm. um, Amen was going to say. Yeah. I was just going to talk about the you know Trump. I was going back to the Bernie Trump thing. Like the whole thing is painting Hillary as like this establishment candidate, and they're taking the blind that they are anti-establishment. That's probably her biggest weakness. Like if it was any other candidate, she'd probably lose the election. I think um, based on her establishment ties, which equally pointed at by Bernie and Trump. And, you know, it all kind of leads back, in her case, to the super PACs and the dark money and Citizens United, which I think have to be overturned if you want to create a more equal system for people. Completely agree. John? I was going to say, uh, I, I have, I'm the first one 
so there's, there's, they have self-interest in keeping it the way it is. But the difference here is when somebody loses, usually, well, in the past, I mean, there's always been people who say it's election. You know, in the past, they've used the legal system to say that things have done to fix the election and stuff like that. You know, Richard Nixon's the best example, of course. Uh, but this is the first time that I've seen in such a large election that, you know, you can see in this room, Bernie Sanders, we know that she stole the election. I've heard people say that here. We know that they've done this or they've done that. But Bernie Sanders has done what every other, almost every other politician has done in the past. When he loses, he either fights it through the courts or he says, I lost. Okay, Donald Trump is the first one is, is saying, in a big election like this, uh, if I lost, I, it's rigged, and I'm not even going to try to prove it. <clears throat> you know, even to Al Gore, when he lost, even with the whole... He never challenged, he never challenged the legitimacy of the system ever. Exactly. The recount in Florida was through our system through Florida law. Right. To make a connection between the two is ludicrous. If anything, after complete corruption and fraud on behalf of George Bush and his cronies in Florida, Gore still said, it's better for the, the good of the United States if I stand away from this and let there be a peaceful transition. Yeah, so to make any connection between the two is beyond Lucas. But I want to address, Hillel said something, issues, issues, issues. And the problem is nobody cares. We've gone down to a system of voting. I like her. I want to have a beer with her. I want to have a beer with him. We, the intelligence of the American elector has gotten so poor that we just, I like her. I don't like her. I don't like her face. I don't like the fact that she doesn't smile enough. They could give a damn about what her policies are. She just doesn't smile enough, or she smiles too much. Okay? Or he makes funny faces. This is what it's come down to in our election process. People don't care about policies anymore. I don't think they even understand them, or even try to understand. It's become a tribalism of you're on one side or the other. You're on the side of evil, the other side's on the side of good. It's not policy, it's become pure emotion. I, I, that's how I think you started. Well, and I think this. to some extent, some reasons for that is the two-party system. It's already a binary. There's mm -hmm. one that's gonna be good, one that's gonna be bad in people's lives. But actually, this is a nice transition because I kind of want to move in another mm -hmm. direction, but it's, it's connected. What do you guys think, let's play, spe let's speculate together. And the outside audience, please feel free to add to this. Like, Based on like what you know and just the life you live, what do you think are some of the reasons why Donald Trump, who I would argue four years ago would not have won his party's nomination, what are some of the reasons why he is the nom the party the Republican Party is you know nom nominee? Because people are upset with the system. Okay. That's what I think that what it comes down to is that people are mad. We just had a black president for eight years. And then now people see a woman who is going to become president, and they're outraged. So that's, I think, mainly all Trump supporters. And like how Megan said before, it's white upper class men. Middle, no, it's like working class. It's uneducated, heterosexual yeah, white I mean, men. And, and also in certain so. regions of the United States, mostly. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. um, we keep going back to the heterosexual white men. But talking about the minority, it's not just them voting for him. So we have to look at who's voting for him. He's getting all these votes. Where is it coming from? I know I asked certain family members, and they tell me they're Trump supporters, and I am appalled. <laughs> I live in New York City. I'm supposed we're all supposed to be liberal in there, <coughs> but we're not. And they don't want to tell us because you know we attack their beliefs, and us liberals have that problem. 
we say, oh, you're a Trump supporter, ugh, disgusting, get out of my face. Which, you know, some of us are guilty of, myself included sometimes. But um, I think going back to people are tired of the system. And they like him, I've heard this, this is a quote. I like him because he speaks his mind. That's literally the reason. Because there's really no else. They like that he speaks what he, he thinks because he, they feel like Hillary is untrustworthy. We keep going back to that as well. I've heard that multiple times. I don't trust her. And you know, we can get that with the emails, but it's just a sense of who she is, her demeanor. People don't like her. He's, um, I think he's awoken up a lot of uh, different parts of like what the right political faction could be and is going to be in the future. Um, this new movement of the alt-right has definitely manifested itself in this election to the point where Hillary has to like uh, actually like name it by name. Um, if you look at Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, um, you know, these are really what we used to think were like fringe people. Um, Alex Jones being like, you know, this hyper paranoid conspiracy theorist now feels like he can identify with somebody in an election that is not part of the Illuminati, not part of the New World Order. Um, and Milo Yiannopoulos is a gay from, uh, gay man Greece. from, uh, from Greece, initially, yeah, from yeah. Greece and Britain, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they view him as somebody that allows for free speech in a way that like you're not going to be punished for not being politically correct and um, you're not going to be um, just ridiculed for having an alternative viewpoint, which I don't necessarily agree with, but um, I think what Donald Trump has done is um, allow for this idea of like permitting paranoia, allowing for the um, expression of these really dark emotions that people have, um, allowing them to be expressed as legitimate rhetoric, um, I think is something that he's, you know, really made people realize uh, that this is a part of humanity, this is a part of what people are thinking. John, um, Well, I was gonna say part of this is public party politics because uh, a lot of those Donald Trump supporters, Pat Toomey is a good example, the, the, the senator from Pennsylvania. He's a misogynist, he's a racist, he's a homophobe, he hates uh, immigrants, he hates everything, but I'm still waiting for a reason to like him and then I'll endorse him. And I'm thinking, what could he possibly be that would give you a reason to counteract all that? But it's because they don't want to pick, they don't, don't want to back Hillary Clinton because she's a Republican, because she's a Democrat. And I think a lot of the Republicans just simply do not, I mean, Hillary Clinton is not a liberal. She's never been a liberal. Uh, she, she's more conservative than most uh, Republicans, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the problem is, is, you know, people have decided that she doesn't do it, doesn't, you know, she's a Democrat, so we don't like her. Bill Clinton is a Democrat, we don't like her. Uh, you know, everybody, every politician is corrupt. That's how they got to be uh, as high as they got. Uh, but you know, a lot of this is party politics because you know you, he hates women, but I still like him because he's not Hillary. I think Colin really hit it on the head. I think for the last eight years, maybe sometime before that, people who had these dark thoughts, as you said, hid in the dark places where they belong, <laughs> and now they hear other people whispering these horrible things, 
The KKK. When is the last time you heard about the KKK? Until recently. Did the old Actually, red wizard now, endorse Donald Trump? You, now all of a sudden, these this vermin is climbing climbing out of the sewers because they see light. They can actually speak to others now about who they hate, how much they hate the gays, the blacks, the Jews, the the uh, Hispanics, and of course the Muslims and whatever else you want to put in there. And they could have this conversation, not in the sewers anymore, but in the bars outside and look on the television and see King Rat himself actually <laughs> able to say these things out loud. How freeing that must be for them. What a wonderful thing that must be for them to come into the light now, out of the sewer, and actually speak in groups of hundreds and thousands and, and, and not be penalized but be cheered. I think that's the difference. I think it's getting national attention. Uh, coming from someone who was born in Mississippi, was not raised there, but has all his family from there, people have those conversations in bars. People have those conversations. Uh, the KKK is very well alive in northern parts of Mississippi. I just think it's getting national attention now. And I'm not accusing all of the South of being racist and all that's not what I mean. But if you look at the electoral map, it does tend to have a certain Donald Trump supporter in certain parts of the region, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I didn't mean to like, you know. No, I, I just think that it has been going on, but I think it bubbled to the surface. Okay, you know? I, I agree um, with you on that. Maybe. I just like going back to the rhetoric thing. Uh, Donald Trump's campaign just recently had the rhetoric repeal the 19th Amendment so that women wouldn't be able to vote because if men were only voting, he would win by a landslide. And like, that's like. And then yesterday in the debate, and the, oh, Lane, you would have been so proud of me. Yesterday in the debate, Donald Trump said that the Constitution should not be interpreted. It should be read as is. And then he started talking about the Second Amendment. And then I was like, <coughs> militia, baby? You're not in a militia, Trump. Wrong. Liar. Because he was like, the Constitution should not be interpreted. It should be read as is. Hillary wants to put someone in the Supreme Court that's going to interpret all this stuff. I'm going to put someone that's going to take it as it is. We should have guns. Guns should be everywhere. But he doesn't know what the Second Amendment actually says. In my common class, Lane made us read the Second Amendment and write it down so many times that we knew that it involved militia because that's like a key part of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment involves militia, <coughs> militia having guns, militia having the right to have guns. We don't have a militia anymore. Like, well, like, yeah. There are some. Yeah. They're French. Like, majority, like, there's not like a big, like, it, there's not the same need that there was way back when. And like, and then he wants to repeal the 19th. Amendment, and I'm like, so he, he does want to interpret the Constitution when it benefits him. So, and he's and like the 14th Amendment, which was the equal protection. He was talking about how like he wants to get rid of like um, how like all like Muslims have to have like background checks, whether they're American born or not. If they're a Muslim, then they have to get like extreme scrutiny, and uh, how he wants to like get rid of all the hombres, all the bad hombres. Can we talk about that for a second? And it was just, yeah, Peter, go ahead. Oh, um. I just kind of want to go back to um, what Lane was saying. Um, I think I think what makes Donald Trump uh, smart is that he not you know exposes the vermin, but I think that exposes pieces of ourselves that perhaps we didn't know existed before, or perhaps we're waiting to come out. Um, my dad is a Trump supporter, and I'm pretty liberal. Um, so, but um, you know, I love my dad, and but he does have some 
racist, misogynistic um, tendencies, and I think that he endorses Trump because, you know, like you said, he likes what he says, he says what he means. Um, and I think that, you know, he, Trump, Trump is so incendiary that he fires people up and his rallies are like, you know, sports events. People will get riled up around the cause and it kind of gives them a way to voice these opinions that they're like, yeah, actually, you know, I would say that if I was provoked in such an incendiary manner. And I think that he is bringing out things in people that, you know, perhaps they wanted to hide or just haven't exposed to themselves. And I think that's what really, you know, gets people rallied around his cause. Jeff, here. Oh, yeah, I was so glad you brought up the 19th Amendment because in about four years, it will be 100 years since it became a part of the Constitution. So that means 100 years ago, the only people in this room that could vote would have been the men. How much of what we're seeing, at least at the very, maybe we're seeing the very beginning of it, is, is candidate Trump unraveling and unwinding and swirling down the drain as he's realizing that he's about to be beat by a woman. Oh, I think it kills him. I think Absolutely it, I think it makes him. his little misogynistic heart beat too fast. It's a, it's a really uh, wonderful piece of justice in a lot of ways, but I, I think his behavior is going to get a lot worse in the next I agree. two weeks. And it's all about, forgive me for saying girl, but he's being beaten by a girl. When he said that he wouldn't accept the outcome of the vote, you know that it's only because it's a woman that would have beat him. Like, because like no other president, I, I might be wrong. Um, Professor Rogers has any other president in history refused to accept the outcome of an election? The Gore election was a unique situation, but no. I mean, so Donald Trump would be the first. Right. He'd also be the first to lose to a girl. Yeah, I, I think to. Um, well, I'll wait. I, I have anything. I'll wait. Just a factoid from the Wall Street Journal NBC poll this afternoon that uh, dealing with issues of concern to women. Uh, they still say Hillary is about a 67% to 17% say Trump. So, like her or dislike her, I think the issues that, that she draws into focus for women will be so much better served than they would be by the, term, by the alternative. And I think, though, this is, I'm actually going to go here, maybe people can add to it, but I, I want to propose something. And you don't have to agree with what I'm saying. This is just something that I've been writing about for a while. and I, I, it interests me. Um, I actually think the kinds of investments that we place on one human being and the kinds of expectations is bad for democracy. Because when that person doesn't look like I do, when that person doesn't espouse everything that I believe in, when that person doesn't do the things that I want them to, when that person doesn't do X, Y, or Z, which is impossible to ask of any human being for one thing, but especially the presidency, because that's, the president does, is not an all-powerful being. And I think the more and more that we impose and impress, and, and I know that some of you already heard this, all of our desires, all of our fantasies, all of our hopes and wishes on this one individual, then we're setting ourselves up as the public for failure because we're never going to be satisfied. It's like that's just bad relationship 101, right? <laughs> it is. I mean, it's like I, I, I just want to get into abusive relationship. Like, that's kind of what we're fooling ourselves into. And I think that to some extent we're watching and witnessing like the progression of this, especially in the 20th century with the rise of mediums, technology like television that creates an intimacy. It gives us this opportunity. It brings the president in our house, right? Um, Sorry, I'm ranting off stuff no. for a second. But I, I do think that these 
mediums that actually are ways of constructing both the presidency and constructing ideology are at the root to some extent of like fooling us into these ways of like feeling that we need to take a step back and maybe go, maybe I can't, I shouldn't expect all these things of this one person since that person is at least symbolically supposed to represent us all, which means he or she should actually be able to represent people who disagree widely with his or her opinion, right? That was my biggest uh, conflict when it was Bernie versus Hillary. Um, you speak with a lot of vitriol for Hillary in a way that I don't think is truly um, indicative of who she is as a person. Like, um, I definitely agree more with Hil uh, Bernie's principles, but when it came down to it, you know, I had to assess whether who could work well across the table, whose policies would be able to be passed through Congress, what type of person would be able to do that, and I was, it was Hillary, like, by a landslide. Um, I would have loved to see Bernie like be the Democratic nominee, but I don't think that he would have been digestible for the, uh, the, the general election, and I don't think that his policies would have, um, I think he might have been a lame duck. I think what he did to like fire up young people is really good, and uh, he, like give um, credence to this new democratic socialism and this new movement that's happening on the left. That's very good, but I don't think that um, the Bernie or Bus ideology that you know we can't trust Hillary. Like she's had thirty years of experience showing that she's been able to work across the table. Thirty years of experience of being able to do what you were saying, which is um, be, like promote progressive policies. Um, I think that you know she's imperfect, but she's certainly trustworthy. But but I would uh, I would just want to add that what I'm actually saying though is perhaps we need to be demanding more of Congress. Why haven't they done their job for the past I don't know how many years? I mean, right? Am I like why are our energies the kinds of energies that Bernie supporters or Hillary supporters or Trump supporters are expressing? Right? Weren't we doing that for? Our senators, our Congress people, right? I, that's what I. That's kind of where I was. I'm sorry, I get passionate about this. No, like that's I, fine. I'm embodying my research right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to what he said about her 30 years of experience, I think she um, she mentioned something about that in the election. I mean, in the debate last night, mm -hmm. I was watching. She said, while we were going after so and so terrorists, you were doing the Celebrity Apprentice, and I think that embodies the entire situation of what we're looking at. We're looking at a seasoned politician versus somebody who's known for being on national television and quote-unquote a good businessman. Equivalent to Kim Kardashian running for president, he's a reality star. Exactly. He's her? a reality star who has misogynistic and racist thoughts, mm -hmm. looking for hombres in the country to get them out. Oh. Yeah. I think you, Dave, you make an interesting point. Um, Paul Ryan like majorly disagrees with Trump um, since the start, really, but, he, um, but now he's trying to rile up every like local senator, uh, Congress, House. Uh, 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 election to try to keep the Republican majority, so they're trying to just get enough people to vote Republican and kind of separate them from Trump and then another split faction of the Republican Party. James from Trump I think that it's, um, you know, there are obviously quite a few Bernie supporters in the room, and um, as a Bernie supporter, I kind of feel as though, yes, like, we need to start focusing on, you know, down ballot candidates, and we need to start building that revolution that Bernie, you know, brought to fruition during the primaries, we need to, you know,
take it from here as the people and, and start to vote people into smaller positions that can help us. Um, and you know, the whole concept of Bernie's revolution, I, I firmly believe that he has ignited that passion in young people enough that we're gonna carry that out. I hope so. Yeah. I was gonna say, uh, to, to your point about people forgetting that Congress is actually there, is the fact that Bernie Sanders could run as an outsider, even though he has more experience in the federal government yeah. than Hillary Clinton does, yeah. but he's running as an outsider. Right. <coughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're. I mean, he's been in Congress for 30 years? Something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter has a question. Uh, I was just going back to what you said about people not believing in the person. I think that the thing with this election is that the, the people we're voting for have become completely constructed images, and that, like, Hillary Clinton as a name, as a brand, stands for, you know, 30 years of experience doing great things, or this corrupt, like, crooked woman. And Donald Trump stands for this guy who's really gonna, you know, get stuff done, or he's a racist, or whatever, but, and I think that we believe in their images, and that, like, why we get disappointed with people is that they don't deliver on their images, because their images actually aren't real. The people that are behind them are real and authentic, and have, you know, thoughts and feelings and ways of going about things, but their image, isn't always, you know, what's translatable into like, the real world. And I think that's just human nature. We all construct an image, but I think what the phoniness of that is that we don't, we can't live up to it. And I think that is problematic in that time. Um, one more. So yeah, going off what Peter was saying, I think that like this idea that we brought the candidates into our living room, like we think that we understand them, is like very, detrimental to politics and like it's really tricky waters to like um, navigate through and like what people are saying about Trump like oh he speaks his mind and people are always like but when, when, as soon as he speaks his mind they're the first will be like oh he doesn't mean that and that's like really hard <laughs> it's really hard because like we don't know what he like what he means or what any candidate means when like they speak out out of the well we have to uh, wrap up I, I first want to thank all the students that participated in this uh, roundtable. It is so encouraging, your passion and your interest and in being involved. Like I really, you know, I actually was like getting a little choked up. <laughs> no, it means it matters, y'all. Your participation matters. You guys do have a voice. Don't let people tell you millennials are this and millennials that or that. Don't let them construct an image of who you are. You construct the image of who you are. Um, and I just want to lastly end, unfortunately, we, we weren't able to actually have a more balanced and nuanced conversation represented on the, the right to some extent because the person embodying those things is um, much easier to talk about because we, he's not actually doing a good job of that. So I hope we return to conversations like this where we can have debates from both the left, the center, the right um, in the future. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Uh,